Let us pray. Gracious Father, draw near to us now by your Spirit and fill us. Plant your word deep within us and work in us that we might do those things that you have called us to do and that we might be changed forevermore by the work of Christ Jesus our Lord, through whom we pray. Amen. A couple of years ago, my oldest son um, got a book for his birthday. It's called The Indian in the Cupboard. Some of you have probably heard of that book. I read it with him, and then he's been reading on his own, and he's read some of the other books in that series on his own, and it's been a great series to read. It's a fun adventure. It's about a little boy, a young boy who receives this seemingly magical cupboard for his birthday from one of his brothers. He discovers the magic in it when he puts a little wooden, a little plastic Indian in it and takes a key and locks it, and then when he unlocks it, the Indian has come to life. He doesn't realize what power he suddenly has. And he thinks of it as just another way to play, another way to be imaginative and to have more adventures in his life, to, be, to have fun. He tells his best friend about it, who then takes a little cowboy and brings him to life and thinks that he can just treat this cowboy like he's a toy, not grasping the reality that this little plastic toy has become a real living human being, just only about three inches tall. In the later books, you discover more and more about how this process works, what is happening in the magic that is there. But what happens is a lot of crazy adventures for them. But what Omri realizes is that this is a dangerous thing, this magical gift that he has, this magical toy that can bring plastic toys to life. And he realizes he has to give it up. He has to set it aside. He has to quit bringing his toys to life because... They could get hurt, and he doesn't quite understand where they're coming from. He doesn't understand what is fully happening here, but he finds that he can't do it. He keeps bringing his Indian back to life, and that's what leads to the other books. That leads to other adventures occurring. That leads to him bringing his Indian friend back to life again, this little plastic toy giving him life once more and interrupting his life in the past. He can't stop doing it. He tries to give it up. He tries to put away the key. He tries to hide it, but it keeps coming back that he has to bring one of his toys back to life for some reason. Everything, everything keeps running amok and getting out of control because of what he does. It's kind of neat how that runs alongside the life that we live. That Paul sums up everything that he's been talking about here in chapter 7, and we didn't get read the first half of chapter 7. We simply have jumped straight to the conclusion of what Paul is saying. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. We find ourselves constantly struggling against sin, fighting against that which is within, fighting against that which is in our members. But yet deeper within, further down, deeper in, is a new life that has been created by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us who resists, who fights. And so in that sense, sin is outward to who we truly are because we've been made new, deeper within than what sin could ever dwell. And so though outward we find ourselves continuing in sin, inwardly we see this sin for what it is and we fight against it. We fight against that which we find ourselves actually doing. 
And that is where Paul brings us here in verse 21 of Romans 7. He reveals to us the law of sin. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. You see, verse 21 is a summary of everything he has said previously in chapter 7. And I'm going to give a brief summary of that just so we can catch up to where Paul is. After dealing in chapter 6 with baptism, bringing life, uniting us to Christ mysteriously in his death and bringing his resurrection to us and us being drawn into faith and being called to righteousness, to no longer be slaves to the sinfulness within, to no longer be slaves to the sin without, but to turn and become slaves to righteousness, to follow the new life that Christ has given to us through his death and resurrection. Paul talks about how we are released from the law. He talks about how law and sin work against each other, but yet seem to work together from our perspective sometimes. He reminds us that with marriage, the husband and wife are united together, and that marriage remains in full force until the husband dies in this case. When he dies, the wife, the former wife is free to remarry, and there's no sin in doing that. Likewise, Paul makes the point of saying, we have died to the law through the body of Christ. That is, we have died to the law's condemnation because this is what this is all about, the condemnation of the law, the law coming against us and revealing our sin to us. That was the point at the end of chapter 5, that as sin reigned, grace might also reign through righteousness. The law came to increase, to make us aware of the trespass, of the sin that we were committing and the continual sins that we are doing. But we have died to that condemnation that comes from the law. For though when we were living in the flesh, the law aroused our sinful passions. It aroused wrongful desires, and it worked death in our members. It worked death in us. But being released from the law of condemnation, being released from the law's condemnation, we have died to that which held us captive, sin itself. And now we're, we are released to serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code, that is, living slavishly against our sin, trying to think that we can overcome sin in our own power by simply outwardly obeying and conforming to the law. And of course, that raises the question, wait, if the law causes us to sin or brings out sin in us, is the law evil? Is the law itself sin? But it's not because the law comes from God himself. The law is a reflection of who God is. It is him revealing to us holiness and righteousness. And when holiness and righteousness encounters that which is sinful, that which is sinful recoils back and reacts against it. So, of course, as soon as we encounter the law within, we start resisting. We start wanting to do it our own way. And that's what Paul reveals. He thought he was alive at one time until he heard the law do not covet. And he realized how dreadfully and wretchedly sinful he was because within all kinds of desires sprang up within him and began pouring out of his heart all kinds of covetousness, jealousy, envy, unrighteousness developed in him in light of him understanding the law more deeply. It brought his very condemnation onto him and proved that he was already dead, though he thought he was alive. And so the law is holy. It is good. The law of God is. But the law of sin is unrighteous. It is evil and wicked. The law of sin is that part of you, that peace within you, that constantly fights and resists that which God has called us to, the renewal that God has brought about in us. And we see that most vividly in 13 through 
20, where Paul makes that comment, the thing I want to do, I don't do, and the very thing I don't want to do is the thing that I do. He wants to draw near to God. He wants to obey what God has called him to do, and yet he continually fails. He finds within him a desire to not do the very thing he's supposed to do, though he desires to do it. That is sin itself responding and reacting to the renewal, to the salvation, to the righteousness and redemption that we have received. The law of sin fights and resists and pushes against the redemption we have been freely given in Jesus. It becomes a law unto itself, such that whenever you want to do right, you find evil close at hand, you find sin close at hand, you find the desire to not do that which you know is the right thing to do. As Paul goes on to say in verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We get held hostage sometimes by the sin within, by the sin that fights against redemption, that fights against that much deeper within inner man. The law of sin fights and wages war against us. But there is a law of life that resists and fights against that law of sin. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Deep down within us has been redemption accomplished and fully applied within. There is a new man, a new creation dwelling within us that is flowing forth, coming forward slowly but surely in that inner being. And that inner being can look out through our eyes and see our wrongful actions. It can see the sinful actions that come from the sin that we still have. In my members, another law, there is waging war against the law of my mind, the law of the new life, the law of the new man, the law which is a reflection of the true law of God, of the moral commandments that he has given us in the Ten Commandments. That is how we become holy, is seeing that and letting it condemn that old man and letting that new man rise to life as we cling to the gospel, as we cling to the law of life of the Spirit dwelling within, renewing us over and over as we see outwardly that we still sin, and we turn from that sin, knowing that the new law is life. And the new law is related to who God is in himself, to his holiness and his righteousness that he pours into us through Jesus. You see, we get to become new creatures because of what Jesus has done. We get to become new creations because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And so we ourselves within have been resurrected into life. And we've been given a new spirit, a new heart, in order that we might live in that life. But the old outward part of us, the old sinful part, still clings and still hangs on and still resists and wages war against us such that we end up almost almost going mad with the struggle, with the fight. But that's where the heart of it all is, is that we resist. We are called into resistance to continue resisting that war waged by the law of sin, by living out in the law of life, by living out in the Spirit, by letting the Spirit work in us and give us the strength to resist the sin that we have, the sin that we find ourselves doing, the sin that we find ourselves being drawn toward. The spirit of life, the law of life works in us to move us away from that. 
this fight between the law of sin and the law of life leads Paul to exclaim in verse 24, Wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body that is broken by sin, this body that is going to become dead in its trespasses? Who will deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That is, the sinful nature continues to strive and serve the law, but in our minds, in that renewed inner being, we desire to serve the law of God. The true law of God, his Ten Commandments, they work with us because it's a reflection of who God is. And we remain in a wretched state in some ways here in this life, fighting and resisting against sin over and over, more and more. But if we quit resisting, then we lose the war that is being waged against us. We give in to the evil that lies close at hand. We submit to the law of sin when we quit waging the war, when we quit striving, when we quit pushing against it. But we are called to live in that law of life, to continue resisting and fighting and wrestling against that sin that is waging war with us. And Paul gives us a new and even more abundant foundation. He gives us a joyful thing here as we enter into chapter 8 of this, of this reading. And we discover something that I've called the spirit of life. Life in the spirit. The spirit coming to be with us as Paul reveals to us the work of the third person of the Trinity who has been at work in all of Paul's previous writing as he talks about that inner being within, that inner man that has been brought into life. The spirit is the one who has worked that in him, in us, in you. And now Paul brings the spirit to the forefront in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The Spirit of life comes to us, dwells with us, rests in us, and renews us, and frees us from that law of sin that leads to death, from that law of death that flows out of sin. The law was weakened by the flesh. The law was weakened by our sinful nature so that we couldn't fully live in that which God calls us to live, so that we would not desire that which God desires for us. But the Spirit comes and renews us and puts us in Christ Jesus and sets us free from sin because Jesus has died to sin. He took sin to the cross and put its power to death over us. God the Father sent His Son in verse 3 in, his, in, his, in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirements of the law would be fulfilled in us who walk not according to our flesh, but according to the Spirit, the one who is the third person of the Trinity, the one who is fully God, who is as holy and as righteous and as pure as God the Father and God the Son. But all of those righteous requirements are fulfilled in us according to the Spirit, by the Spirit dwelling in us and applying who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And He brings us life. Though the law of sin continues to wage war against the law of life, the Spirit of life renews us and strengthens us to resist, making that inner man stronger and stronger to resist the sin within. And all of this may make you think, well, then 
Surely I can gain total and complete victory over all the sin around me and within me. But we won't. Not in this lifetime. We'll gain victories here and there, but the ultimate victory is in Jesus and his resurrection from the dead bodily. We will continue wrestling with sin itself in us until we die. But when we are raised back into new life in a resurrection body, that sin will be fully purged from us. The law of sin and death will be destroyed fully and completely through that because Jesus has gone through that for us so that we can go through it and be fully and completely redeemed from everything that is broken within. The flesh will be fully put to death when we die, but the spirit of life will resurrect us into a totally new way of being, a way that doesn't involve the law of sin in us anymore. And in this life, we will wrestle and we will fight. We will resist. We will fail. But we will turn back to the Lord. We will turn back to Jesus. We will turn back to the forgiveness that he has given to us and be renewed once more. In verse 5, Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You see, right there is part of the secret that Paul is giving us about the Spirit of life. He calls us to set our minds on the Spirit, on what He has done in us, what he has done, what Jesus has accomplished that he has revealed to us. We turn our eyes toward Jesus when we set our minds on the Spirit because the Spirit directs us to Jesus alone. The Spirit directs us not to ourselves and the good that we've accomplished. The Spirit doesn't direct us to our victories over sin. The Spirit always directs us back to Jesus. First and foremost, he will turn our eyes to Jesus. And that, in a sense, depowers the flesh. It puts the flesh to death once more as we look to Jesus, as we remember what Jesus has done for us, as the Spirit opens our eyes to that. And yes, sometimes the Spirit may remind us of the work of Jesus in resisting some sins, but he's not going to point it to point out and say, well, you've resisted the sin. He'll speak of how Jesus has worked in you resistance. He'll speak of how Jesus has worked in you new life, new strength, in order that you would continue to fight. That is the work of the Spirit, and we set our minds on the Spirit, on His truth that He has revealed to us through Scripture, through the application of Jesus Himself to us. And it leaves us in a place of struggle, a place of fighting, a place of wrestling. But the Spirit is with us. And we have Jesus' very words this morning that we heard in the Gospels. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The weary and heavy laden are those who are fighting and resisting, who know that they are sinners, who know that they fail, who know that they cannot accomplish what the law calls for them to do, and it wears them down. The burden of knowing that they are guilty of sin. And again, this is where we turn our eyes to Jesus and find relief. We find forgiveness. We find new life. We come weary and heavy laden to Jesus, confessing our sins, confessing our failures, and he takes them off of us once more. For he has already taken them off of us in the past. 
He brings his forgiveness into the present and sets it upon us right now. And he lifts from us that heavy laden sin that we have tried so hard to resist and have failed in resisting. And he renews us and gives us more life, gives us new life, sets to work the law of life in us once more and the spirit of life refreshing us and filling us. I think that it's wonderfully and beautifully appropriate that in just the planning of deciding the first Sunday of July was going to be when we would return to communion and that the first Sunday in July of this lectionary cycle, we're reading about that fight against sin. We're reading about our failure to resist sin. We're reading about how the thing we want to do is the very thing we don't do and the thing that we don't want to do is the very thing we find ourselves doing. That we are coming to receive communion today to receive Jesus' body and blood, to be renewed in heart and mind through the Eucharist, to have that objective given back to us right now, to return to receiving Jesus regularly in this way. Not that somehow of not having communion, we've lost Jesus in our lives, but it's a place of comfort, a place of assurance, a place of new life to come back to communion like this, to know that in communion, we are being refreshed and renewed just as we are being renewed when we read Scripture. And that we are receiving Jesus in a special and unique way to change us, little by little, more and more, that we might live with Christ. That we might more fully set our minds on the Spirit and not on the flesh. That we might more and more resist that law of sin because the Spirit of life is in us and we are united to Jesus. And so all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus. Come and know his forgiveness. Come and know his renewal. Come and know that he gives to you a spirit of life that undoes the brokenness within. And that we all receive that new life when we receive Jesus as he is. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.